0: Hey guys, it's Morgan here. I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And I want to extend a special invite to you to be a part of our first ever Young Adults Today conference. It's happening in Minnesota at the Mall of America on March 13th and 14th, 2020. We'll have Nick Nielsen from Lakewood Church, Dr. Alan Tennyson from North Central University, Steph McDonald from Mac Ministries leading with her worship team, and along with Micah and Josiah Keneally helping lead the way. I'm personally excited for this conference, for all the relationships that will be formed, will become like family, and will meet others who are also doing young adult ministries around the world. I'm also very excited to hear from Dr. Alan Tennyson in his sessions, as he was one of my professors at North Central, and he just made theology come alive to me in new ways and made it super exciting. For you podcast listeners, we have a special offer. Register before March 6th with the code PODCAST to get $10 off your registration. Sign up now at youngadults.today conference, and we would love to see you there.
1: What's up, guys? We hope that you are feeling alive right now, just like that song by Ms. Beats. I'm Josiah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to youngadults.today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world and in your community today. We're joined, as always, by my wife and co-host, Micah. Micah, say hey to everyone.
2: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to 2020.
1: Season two. And Micah, can you introduce our guest on the show today?
2: Yes, I would love to. So today we have a special friend, Dr. Jolene Urlacher. And Jolene, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited that you're here. We're excited to see what God has in store, not only for you, for your family, for your ministry, but also for the listeners starting ministries in 2020, or maybe you've been doing it for... 10, 15, 20 plus years. So I'm just going to share a little bit about who Dr. Jolene is. And she's actually the founder of Leading Tomorrow. And she began that in 2014 with the aim of equipping churches, businesses, schools, missions, agencies, and other organizations for effective intergenerational leadership in an evolving culture. Her passion for equipping a new generation of leaders emerged from various leaderships and various experiences in education and ministry. So, Dr. Jolene, we are so excited that you're here with us today. Thank you for joining us. And I forgot to mention that she's also the author of two books, two great books, Millennials in Ministry, as well as The Daniel Generation. So, welcome.
3: Thank you, guys. It's so good to be here and to be a part of the show.
1: Our paths crossed, Jolene, when I was at North Century University taking grad school classes and some of the great leadership classes in the strategic leadership master's program. You were the professor of, and I started reading your books, following the blog, and um, but I want to let you talk, and will you share some of your story of your journey in ministry and how specifically you've become passionate about the next generation?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, because I don't think any of us dream of being a generational researcher when we're in kindergarten or first grade. (laughs) So um, it is a good question. How did I get here? I think part of it was I grew up as the oldest of six kids, uh, the daughter of missionaries and pastors. So when you grow up in ministry, you often get pulled into ministry, doing children's ministry, youth ministry throughout my life. And then after graduating, I ended up in education. Uh, working with college students. And so God just throughout my life has cultivated just this passion for mentoring uh, and developing those younger than me. So it was really while I was working in the college setting and seeing some of the disconnect between our students as they were doing internships or volunteering or graduating and going out into ministry roles or simply just trying to connect with faith communities, churches, small groups, and really struggling that God really birthed the specific just vision and passion in my heart to understand why is there a disconnect sometimes and how do we really help young people engage in their faith effectively?
2: That is so good, that is so fun. I don't think I know any kindergartner who wants to be a researcher yet, but you might. I might meet somebody someday. But Dr. Jolene, you are an author and you are a researcher. And would you be willing to share to the audience today, what are some of the findings that you're coming across when it comes to faith for the next generation?
3: Well, I think what's so significant about the younger generations right now, millennials and Gen Z, as compared to older generations, is that really we've experienced in America and really around the world a cultural shift. So when you look at history, every couple hundred years, there's major cultural shifts. And these are the periods of history we study and learn about, like the Industrial Revolution, the Age of Enlightenment, the Renaissance, where they really reorder the way that we look at them world. Yeah. And so those born before and after a cultural shift really have a cross cultural gap as well as a generational gap because they exist on separate sides of this cultural transition. And millennials and Gen Z really are growing up and uh, taking leadership roles now in this new cultural context informed by things like relativism, pluralism, deconstruction, the questioning of everything, right? right. No absolutes. Everyone have your own truth. And So I think this is, at the core, the most significant difference between younger generations and older generations is how we view ethics and morality and truth, things that guide our lives, our basic values.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, this is what I think draws me to the work that you're doing is because we have a a vision of reaching young adults for Christ. And a lot of the people – like. This, they're listening into this because God's birthed a vision. Maybe it was their dorm dream and they feel like they're called for an Esther 414 moment. Like God has placed them for such a time as this to reach the next generation. And yet we hear that fewer than ever Gen Z are reading the Bible, like 4%. We're hearing that the odds are stacked against the local church because young adults are exiting the faith and talk, if you will, about some of the challenges you see college students and 20-somethings facing. And I think this will help us as leaders understand what our role can be in serving the population and demographic that we're ministering to best. Yeah,
3: yeah you're highlighting some of the key challenges that are facing the church. I've been at several missions conferences lately, and I mean, this is the topic of conversation everywhere we go. How do we engage young people, not just in faith, but then in ministry and actually putting their faith into action? And it's so challenging today because I think this uh, doctrine of tolerance that is so Predominant our culture today. It's the number one moral value of Gen Z. So it's really college age and younger. And the idea of tolerance is that if I believe something is true, but it contradicts what you believe to be true, then I am intolerant. So young people are often struggling to have a sense of conviction. And even when they have a sense of conviction, they're having a hard time sharing that conviction with anyone else, which is why 50% of millennials think it's wrong to evangelize, right? And those numbers are even higher, we're predicting for Gen Z, because it's intolerant to have a conviction and try to force that on someone else. And so as young people are wrestling with their faith today, they're really struggling to understand how do I even have a sense of conviction, identity, belief in something without being offensive to other people. And the reality is it will be offensive. Jesus says it will be offensive. So I think as we're discipling and mentoring the next generation, just really understanding we have to be countercultural, and we have to empower them to be countercultural. And this is one of the things I find so exciting: is those who really choose to have an or, or have an encounter with God and choose to believe the truth of Scripture are just encountering such strength and boldness in their faith. Because they're having to overcome some of these cultural norms that tell them it's wrong to have a strong faith. Now, the other thing I think that's really important for us to do is technology has inundated our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Young people are on screens eight to 12 hours a day, and many of them don't know how to vet or interpret or process all the information that's coming at them all the time. So it's often informing their worldviews in ways that are not always healthy. So I think two things we can do is just really help people as they're processing, interpreting all the information they're processing, and then how does that fit into biblical truths and how do we develop a biblical belief system and conviction worldview and live in that.
2: That is an excellent question. How do we live in that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And how do we even live in that as leaders and effectively and creatively reach the generation that we are passionate about, that we feel that God has called us to, while the natural conviction of God, Father, Holy Spirit... Are intervening on their behalf. And just most of our listeners in the audience today, ourselves included, we're, we're millennials and we are in ministry. And what do you think our lead pastors or senior pastors wish that they could tell us but haven't yet?
3: Well, two things come to mind. One, I think, is in how we engage them. And one is in how we engage the world. I think as far as how we engage them, One of the challenges right now is that the world has changed so dramatically that often as young leaders, it's easy for us to just say, what we did in the past does not work today. And we, that's true, it's not going to work in this cultural context. But sometimes what I see young leaders doing, and I, I hear other leaders saying this is happening, is we kind of are throwing out the baby with the bathwater because we see the methodologies of the past do not work. Sometimes we're also throwing out the principles or not taking the time to learn the principles that worked. Mm-hmm. So just that learner posture, that humility that uh, approaches those senior leaders and seeks to understand the principles even if the methodologies their experiences don't resonate with our world today there's still wisdom that can be gleaned from them so I think really that posture of learning what we can from the past so we don't repeat its mistakes is something that can be really critical in an intergenerational team as far as how we engage the world, I think there is this concern that younger generations are more uh, in tune with the, the holistic needs of people. But sometimes in that we're losing the soul, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're so busy trying to be mental, emotional, emotional physical needs that we sometimes forget about spiritual needs and the older generation is so passionate about this right conversion and getting new freedom in christ in younger generation we shy away from that sometimes because of this whole tolerance relativism and i think the older generation would say if they lose their souls what is the rest of it worth right? If there's not freedom. And so just keeping that at the center of just our Mm. mission is just that redemption of our souls and um, finding our, our new life in Christ and what that looks like.
1: I think the position you describe as the posture of a learner is something that is so key for us to tap into as individuals and as leaders, because there is... There are multiple generations that have gone before us, that there is wisdom to learn from them, whether stylistically we relate and resonate or not. If we can learn from the positive and the negative, we will learn twice as much. And if we will learn from the older and the younger generations, our learning will multiply drastically. And something that Micah says is that you're never too old to learn and you're never too young to teach. And I love that she is passionate about that. And one of the things that we recognize in this generation is there are, there's such a emphasis on tolerance. When we walk on a college campus, there's such a almost oversensitivity at times to this idea of, moral therapeutic deism of uh, there's no absolute truth. What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. And who am I to tell you otherwise? And um, could you share for us the message of the Daniel generation? I love it naturally because my middle name is Daniel. And so my parents, they had the forethought to think of kind of an Old Testament king and an Old Testament prophet. But Daniel Generation is a book that you've written. Can you share with us the message of that? Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. So what we're seeing, like I said, is this cultural shift from really the modern era to this postmodern context. And as I've been researching and working with young adults over the last decade, like God has just birthed this message in my heart that they are Daniel's and Esther's and Ezra's and Nehemiah's. Because what happened with Daniel and his generation of young leaders was that they were born in Judah, but God called them to lead in Babylon. And none of their leaders, pastors, teachers, priests had ever been in Babylon, right? They were familiar with Judah, the rules of Judah, the ways of worshiping God in Judah, and suddenly Daniel finds himself in Babylon where the rules are all different. There is no temple to go to in Jerusalem to worship. In fact, there are 50 temples to 50 different gods. There are all kinds of foods that violate Jewish law. There's all of these challenges that his predecessors did not have to encounter. And he has to try to figure out what does it mean to be a godly leader in this ungodly context. And in many cases, he had to make choices that probably really terrified his parents or priests or leaders because he was having to learn the language and literature Babylon in order to be able to be used by god in that context and yet he also had to understand how to apply the law of god and not eat from the king's table things that were mm. violating god's law but most importantly and this is what i love most and this is why i believe god is calling this generation of millennial and gen z leaders too is he had to know god he had to know the voice of god he had to be willing to sacrifice. Everything God called him to serve the very man who had killed his family, stripped him of his title, given him a new name, a new culture, a new language, mm-hmm. probably stripped him even of a legacy. And so he lost everything, and yet God called him to serve that very man who had taken it all from him. And so just this, this surrender of my rights to God's purpose um, in this context that's unfamiliar, and in that God is able to give us insight and revelation and favor that is going to allow us to flourish in an ungodly context.
2: That's amazing. And Julian, I know you've said this before, but in our world, we've previous, you've previously described it as being a digital Babylon of sorts. And what do you mean by a digital Babylon for the listener today who maybe hasn't yet read your book?
3: Mm-hmm. So David Kinneman is actually the one who turned that coin digital Babylon, oh, um, and you know really what it's it's referencing is that everything in the world comes to us through this little rectangular device that we carry in our pocket right it's blinging flashing trying to gain our attention and daniel lived in nebuchadnezzar's palace which was the most glamorous building in the world at the time Mm. and i feel like often babylon was there to distract you to lull you into comfort and complacency and apathy And in the same way, I feel like sometimes our phones distract us. The things that not our phones involve themselves, but the messages coming through our phones all the time distract us. They seek to um, draw us into, you know, eating technological candy, you know, kitty YouTube videos and all this stuff that's not bad or playing video games. None of those things are bad, but they can pull us away from sometimes the things that God is calling us to in the truth. And so just this just this bombardment of all these opinions and ideals and distractions that are not always gods you know so we have to be so much more intentional whereas 20 or 30 years ago you could live in a small community and you went to your school, you went to your Bible study group, you went to your church and your job, and those were the only influences that you really had to process and cope with, and they were familiar. Today, we're bombarded with so many things that are new and unfamiliar, similar to in Babylon. So we have to be so intentional to understand God's purposes and what He's calling us to do um, in achieving His kingdom purposes.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so then, Jolene, what advice would you have for the young person who's listening in right now? And they're a part of that Daniel generation that you've written about. What advice do you have for them in their life, in their world, in their walk with God, but even in ministry, what advice do you have for them?
3: Well, I think that in processing even this for my own kids and what do I say to my own kids, um, God brought me to Luke 6 because I often love to pray over my kids that God would bless them and that we would walk in God's blessing, right? I mean, this is something we pray. And yet in Luke 6 and in other gospels, Jesus talks about, Blessed are you when men hate you, when you are persecuted, when you are slandered for my sake. And I think often we have this perception that we are doing what's right when everybody is liking our post Mm -hmm. and everyone is commenting on what we're doing and everyone is following us and everyone is applauding and approving that that's when we're doing what's right. But I believe for a Daniel generation who's called into an ungodly culture in an ungodly place, we are actually successful when there are some people who are slandering us because we love Jesus, because we are faithful to his purposes, to his message, not that we are living it above reproach, right? We are speaking the truth in love, um, not in retaliation, but in love, there's still going to be people who are going to be opposed to us. So just understanding opposition is not always bad that sometimes when we are being faithful to God, there is going to be some of that opposition and to be okay with that, to make sure that we are being faithful to to God. The other thing I would say, Daniel survived because he had godly companions. Mm -hmm. Men who, when the king was ready to kill them because they were um, in the wrong place at the wrong time, who were were willing to go into the closet with him and pray and say, we're going to get down on our prayer closet and we're going to pray and we're going to seek God until he gives us revelation from heaven and God gave Daniel the revelation. So I think just having those godly companions who are going to walk with you and keep you accountable. And then recognizing you need to be faithful to what God is saying and asking you to do, even if there is some opposition.
1: I think that's amazing. You know, In a world where a lot of students, a lot of young people mm-hmm. that have kept the faith feel like they're walking alone. And they feel like they're the only one. And I think that that's some encouragement that there are other Christians out there. There are other friends out there. And this question wasn't in the notes that I sent you, but I know we've talked about this concept that you've written about called the remnant before. And I think the remnant is a a God concept for sure. And can you go there for a little bit and describe what is the remnant and what's the significance of God's calling a group of young people to go deeper? further, more intimate than ever before.
3: I think often in America, especially in the West, we've measured success based on numbers, and that's definitely true in the church, right? We've Mm -hmm. often based, it's a successful year if there's more people attending the programs, more members, and the pew's more budget. But I really believe God is just calling us into a season, I call it the season of a remnant. And God throughout history has loved, um, well, he has used a remnant. My dad once said to me, he maybe wanted to use more, but it was only a remnant who showed up, So God uses those of us. Who show up, and it's often a remnant where times are more challenging and difficult. And I think that's the season we're entering. This is not going to be the easiest period of history in America to serve and follow God. And so as a result, I think we're going to see a remnant emerge that are those who are going to be faithful regardless of the challenges and the opposition. And what's so amazing is this remnant, and you see this throughout history and around the world, the remnant has to make choices that other people are unwilling to make. They're the ones like Daniel and Esther who are willing to put their lives online. They're willing to say, I will do anything for for God. I will sacrifice my own interests. I will pursue and be obedient to God. And what happens is the favor of God comes upon this group in such a powerful way that they stand before kings and they direct the direction of kingdoms through their faithfulness to God. Wow. And that's what we see in Daniel's life. He was used in the life of king after king after king. I mean, Israel was, or Judah was destroyed by the Babylonians, but Daniel outlived Babylon. You know, he wow. went on to inform kings in Persia. And we see this with Esther, who stood before the king and saved her people. So these young people, these young leaders who lived through exile in this period of exile, um, this remnant, were so powerfully used by God, but it was because they were willing to be faithful above all else. And I think that's really what God's calling us to
2: So what would you say, um, Jolene, to the people who maybe are, you know, a piece of that remnant at a young age, wanting to walk out their faith, you know, being challenged by others, challenging by the cultural norms of, of, from lifestyle to decision-making to dating, fill in the blank, really. So what advice would you give to young people who, when we look at this question, bow down, bow when others rise and rise when others bow? Like, what advice would you give that person who was or is the story of Daniel in their classroom, in their college, on their campus, maybe even in an atheistic home where they're trying to honor mom and dad, but they're strong in their faith?
3: I recently read a book, The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin, which I highly recommend. Wow. And what he did was he traveled the world interviewing persecuted Christians and to see what we could learn from them. And there's a quote in there that just stands out to me that I think is really appropriate for us today. But there was a young man who had been in prison um, for his faith. And when asked about it later, he said, the thing is you cannot grow in persecution what you do not take with you into persecution. And I think that's true for us too. We cannot grow in opposition or isolation what we haven't cultivated in our lives. And so the things that for centuries have allowed Christians to remain firm in their faith continue to be the same things today. We have to be in the word. We have to know what the word of God says. We have to know how to pray. We have to know how to worship. Um, not just sing songs, but truly worship God, we have to know most importantly, I think today, is how to hear the voice of God. And so these are things that are, it's like working out, right? When you start working out, you can maybe lift a two-pound weight, and then you start doing a five-pound weight. You build up to eight, ten, twenty. You have to build those spiritual muscles. So maybe you start out, you can only read the Bible for two minutes, or you don't really understand what half of it says, that's okay. You just start with where you're at. Maybe you can only pray for, you know, three minutes at a time. Start with three minutes and then try to pray for five minutes and find other people. This is where going to mentors or finding those godly friends who can help you, challenge you, teach you strategies for how to grow those spiritual muscles that are going to allow you to stay firm. I think is really critical. That's
2: so good.
1: I love it that you talked about mentors, because even this podcast, we've tapped into people who we believe are mentors, like yourself, for a generation that God's using as a, a mentor nationally and globally, and in our lives, we find such joy and encouragement by a close group of like six friends, and there are nights where we'll talk with these six friends and we just walk away with our, our cheeks hurt from laughing and we feel like they they encourage us in our faith. And so I would pray that same thing over the listener today who's young in ministry. Find people who are further along mm-hmm. that are that could be a mentor, that could help you mm-hmm. ask tough questions or answer questions that you have. Yeah. And find people who are like iron sharpens iron with friendships. Yes. Um, maybe there are other people in this Facebook group. Maybe they're a pastor that's down the street, or maybe they're just tomorrow you go to church and you meet a new potential best friend. We've talked about that before on the podcast. So, Jillian, that's amazing the message of millennials in ministry and the Daniel generation, and we've got a new section called The Final Thoughts. And for our podcast, YoungAdults.Today, the listeners are used to five questions in these final five minutes that are pretty rapid fire. So are you ready for that?
3: I think I'm ready. <laughs> All right, Jillian.
2: Um, question one is, what has surprised you about college students and young adults?
3: One of the things I think I already said is, just the young people who are choosing to be faithful to God and dedicate themselves to something important are going above and beyond what I think anyone in their lives even imagined. Their teachers, their mentors, and so those who truly commit to something are absolutely ac- are accomplishing amazing things, and that's been great to see.
1: Yeah, we love the potential. We see rooms that are filled with potential and possible world changers, and so. We're optimistic and share that belief. And so, Jillian, what is maybe one of your favorite events that you've ever been a part of?
3: Praise gathering at North Central, for sure, Mm. hands down. And that was a gathering of just people of all ages, primarily college students, but everyone would join and just come for a time to just sit in the presence of God. And I think that's one of the places where there was a lot of equipping in those things that you need to be strong in your faith like hearing the voice of god praying worshiping mentoring and encouraging one another so if there's a place like that in your life i think that's a great thing to prioritize uh, uh, in your calendar i love it
2: all right what is one of your favorite uh, life stories of change
3: you know I can think of stories in ministry, right? People you've mentored or taught. But I think what's most convicting to me is watching the life change in the people closest to me. And sometimes I think those are things we don't even observe because it's usually slow and painful and <laughs> takes a lot of energy and time. But just looking at some of the people, in my immediate and extended family, and just seeing how God has worked in their lives over time to bring them out of brokenness into life and just being to be a part of that um, is really encouraging.
1: Can I ask you one off script 30 second question? Yes. Is how has parenting, you have these twin daughters, how has that impacted your view of the next generation?
3: Made it very up close and personal. <laughs> but it's really made me think about how do we make these things practical, right? Well, wow. Like hearing the voice of God or teaching my children's scripture. Or even today in the car, we just came back from somewhere listening to a song about the armor of God and stopping and talking about that. So even how do how do we start learning at the ages of six and seven what it means to worship, to hear the voice of God, to know his truth, and just being intentional in every opportunity that comes up to be able to cultivate that.
0: I
2: love that. it a good challenge. Teachable moments. Teachable mm-hmm. moments with children. Um, and this is a teachable moment for any listener because we know that we all have Flaws. We have highs and lows. We have some failures. We have some successes. So, Juline, would you be willing to tell us one of your failures that you've experienced in ministry, this to this point in life?
3: Yeah, I could pick from a number, <laughs> but one that just stands out to me because of the prolonged nature of it was when I was working at the university I oversaw a short-term missions program and it was like eight years I was saw when I took it over it was a small struggling program a couple of teams a year barely able to get even a partial team and I was determined to, to make it grow right and by God's grace and with a great team it did grow it took off um, but in that season I developed some pride. And I was very young. I was I was the youngest faculty member at the university at that time. So I had some pride and insecurity in my life. And in the midst of building this new program, there was a number of faculty who had concerns and bo- verbalized those concerns. And instead of engaging them with a learner posture and seeking to understand what their concerns were and why, I really started to view them kind of as just oppositional and tried to defend myself. And in retrospect, I realized I did some things that were not necessarily beneficial. And what I did was instead of being a learner and posturing myself as a learner, I stole from those that I was mentoring the opportunity to have an even better experience because I was not able to pass on the wisdom of those who want to mentor me uh, to those that I was mentoring. And so I, I i mean, just recently had an opportunity to talk to one of those faculty members and just apologize, <laughs> just realizing in retrospect how I could have gleaned so much more from them if it had not been
1: for my pride and insecurity. Thank you so much for, for sharing because we all, as leaders, we have that those moments of mm-hmm. excitement and well, we, we get to be a part of doing ministry and, and it's, it's mm-hmm. easy to let... I think pride is so... In our human nature, it's so natural. It is yeah. so normal. And yet, what God calls us to do is have those moments of humility as well. And so... It might be this, it might be something else. But if you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult leaders one thing today, what would you leave them with?
3: Focus on the remnant. Hmm. There's going to be so much pressure to have a big thriving program. But I believe God is really raising up the remnant for this season. I call them a seed generation. In farm country, if you eat all the seed in the winter, you have nothing to plant in the spring. So, sometimes we get focused on the numbers, which numbers are not bad, but make sure you're really discipling and mentoring the remnant of faithful that God is putting around you because they are the seed that, as culture, as we start to live the consequences of our current cultural values, um, there's going to arise a hunger for truth again. And we need a remnant of young leaders who are equipped to share what that truth is and disciple and mentor the next generation. So just be sure you don't get so distracted with numbers and activities and programs that you don't take the time to really invest in that small group that God's putting around you.
2: That's a fantastic place just to end and to be challenged with that. Don't focus on the numbers, focus on the seeds, the planting, the watering. And Jolene, we are so excited that you were able to join us. Thank you. We had a great conversation today. And also, thank you for joining us. If you're listening in and now 2020, um, you can find out more about Jolene Erlacher. Um, You can learn about Leading Tomorrow as well as her resources available for leaders when you connect with us on our website at youngadults.today, as well as our other social media platforms at youngadults.today. Until next time, this is Mike and Josiah Cannelly hosting youngadults.today.
1: all wired up right now. Plug me in, I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.